Let's get to be with you uh, this morning, church. Uh, my uh, night and morning has been a little bit uh, flustered last night. I, I pulled out my laptop, normal Saturday night review. I was going to add a story that I just read into my sermon that caught my attention. I wanted to add something that's pretty cool. And, uh, and so I pulled out my laptop. I put it on my dining room table. I got my big 44-ounce glass of water. That, that I was going to drink, and I, and I got up to get something else, my notebook. And my beagle decided she needed a drink out of my 44-ounce glass of water, knocked the water onto the laptop, completely fried, ladies and gentlemen. This is before uh, I pushed print on the sermon, and so uh, this is a, this is a try to remember everything that was involved. Uh, <laughs> And so on another note, if you'd like a beagle, Andrew, if you'd like a beagle uh, to come live at your house, I will buy food for a year. You are welcome to have her. Lord bless you if you do, right? But uh, Pastor Stephanie, like I said, sends her greetings. I keep getting pictures uh, sent to me uh, as, uh, as uh, the, the, our kids get to hang out, hang out with their Nana and Papa. Um, they are really incredible grandparents, so it's fun to see those, uh, see those pictures. It's also fun, I got, I've got one here for you as well, to see Jack destroying their house uh, just like he destroys my house. You got that picture for him, Mike? Yes! That is good. Sweet, sweet pictures uh, there. Um, but uh, the other night in youth group, we were talking about the adoption of God, how God adopts us into our family. And every time I think about um, this word of adoption, I think about um, just the, the space that Pastor Stephanie's uh, family, my family now, uh, created for me in high school. So I sold a little bit of that story to them, how uh, I would come over in high school for, for dinner sometimes and even, even breakfast. I was that boyfriend, guys. Yeah, like I'd come for, for breakfast and dinner, and, and uh, they just created a space for me. They loved me well, and, and we've told this story before. They called me Tommy the Turtle uh, because I was so uh, shy, and I was so just, just awkward in those moments. I didn't know what it meant to eat at a family table, right? We did, that was where you put laundry in our house. That just wasn't the thing. And I didn't know how to do that, but I was also a, a kid that had a lot of anger, and a lot of frustration, and I was all into myself. That was a reclusive uh, part of me um, that was there. And so they called me Tommy the Turtle, and oh, how, uh, how times have changed. Now you can't get me to be quiet, right? Uh, how, how God has, has uh, taken me from that place and, and transformed me, brought me down paths that lead to, to restoration. I'm a completely um, different person. And so I was, as I was reading um, through and preparing for this sermon, I, I thought I'd just I'd spend a little bit of time thinking about that, thinking about what it was like in the past. I, I guarantee you, if you would ask my uh, many Sunday school teachers through the years from when I was a kid, hey, do you think Tommy Lobdell is going to be a pastor? And they would say, oh, that kid over there, like in the corner? No. Like he doesn't, he never wants to be here, right? Like the only time he's excited is when there's candy or little Debbies, right? Like he just doesn't want to be here. He just is not, no, I don't think that that's, that's going to happen. Like he's really horrible at Bible quizzing. The only reason he comes is because there's girls on the team. And, and there's this, like, I just don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. It was not, it was not a predicted thing. It was not a planned out uh, thing. The other day I woke up and I was just super grumpy. Like, 
Have you ever, do you ever do that? Is that just me? Like you just wake up and you can tell like you're just, you're just grumpy and it's not good. And my wife knows it right away. Why are you grumpy? You know? And that doesn't help. And then get grumpier. I, and, but I, I was super grumpy and I try to be a person of gratitude and, and, and I try to teach that to our, our, our teens now, this idea we go through our goods and our brokens is a reminder that all that is good comes from God. And so I started this, I stopped right there. I had my breakfast, and, and I started to thank God of, and think about all the things that I have in my life. Thank you for uh, the breath in my lungs, and thank you for these eggs that I'm eating, and thank you for my house, and thank you for my family, and thank you for my church, and thank you for my job, and thank you for uh, the things that you've blessed, blessed me with. Thank you for, for all of this, and, and it struck me in that moment, how in the world did I get here? Like, how did I, how did I come to this place? Why in the world am I a pastor? Why am I in, in Mountain Home, Idaho? Why do I have this family whom I love? You know, how, how did I come to this? Because this wasn't a calculated thing. Like, believe me, there was no calculation. <laughs> not, maybe on Stephanie's part, but not on my part. There was no dream that this, this would, would happen. I've told you before, I should be in Junction City, Kansas, with my Crown Victoria with 22-inch rims as the best like drug dealer in town before the D.A.R.E. program would confiscate my car and turn it into a D.A.R.E. car. Like, that's where I should be, right? In fact, the other day I read an article about uh, there was like a drug crime in Junction City, and so I just Googled uh, crime in Junction City, Kansas to see if it got any better, and I think I have a picture for you here. This is the first thing I see when Google comes up. For Junction City, we found that violent crime rate is one of the highest in the nation across communities of all sizes, both large and small. Right? Like, it's like real. Obviously, it didn't get better. And so then I click the picture tabs, and I won't show you that, the image tab, because that just makes things more interesting for me. Uh, and I begin to see my friends, right? My friends are on the image tab of Google under crimes for Junction City Kids. They say that, that you can tell the trajectory of your life by who you hang with. And I've had a lot of friends that are successful and, and they're, they're incredible people, but a lot of friends that are not, that, that are on that, on that list. Anywhere from, uh, from uh, incredible drug charges to um, one student that tried to behead another person that I played t-ball with as a kid uh, to uh, a memorial photo of a, of a good friend from high school who was murdered on our main street because her boyfriend got mixed up with the Mexican drug cartel right? Like this is in Kansas. So again, I sit there and I ask the question, how in the world did I get to where I am. Like, I'm not perfect. You ask my wife. Like, that's just not, that's just not a thing. <laughs> right? But Lord have mercy. How did I get to, to, to this place? Because this was my potential. Like, at, at that point, there was no thinking forward. There's no, there's no doing anything like that. To give you an example, I, I went to high school and I graduated with a 3.5 GPA. I just didn't, I didn't apply myself very much, but I was okay with getting that stuff done. And Stephanie graduated a year after me with her full like first year of college credits like taken care of. And I didn't even know that that was offered. <laughs> right? There's just not on my radar. I just didn't care. I didn't know what I was doing or where I was going. I just didn't have that. It wasn't a way that my, that my family thought. 
It was simply by the grace of God. And so I tell you all that just to be able to say this. You have no idea, no idea, young or old, you have no idea of the ways that God might want to use you here on this earth. You have no idea, it's not even imaginable, uh, the ways in which God might use you to accomplish something here on earth. I don't care if you're, if you're 10 or you're 5 or if you're 55 or if you're 75, we still, God can do incredible things that we could never even imagine on our own. We have no idea what, my, what God might accomplish in us and through us in this world. So as we have that in the back of our minds, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Genesis chapter 25 as we continue the story, uh, or the, the series called The Story that Pastor Stephanie's been uh, leading us on and we'll talk about again. But uh, Genesis chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 19, as we uh, listen to the story of Jacob and Esau this morning. Genesis 25 starting in verse 19. Church, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian from Paddan Aram, and sister Laban from from the, Ar- the Armenian. Excuse me. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That sounds familiar. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had the taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. For, for the past uh, couple of weeks, Pastor Stephanie has, has been uh, leading us uh, as we've been following the, the story of God through Abraham and Sarah. We've been looking at God's promise that they would become a great nation. They would be blessed to be a blessing, that God might be a blessing through them. 
And for a long time, um, we were stuck on that baby, that first baby, right? Uh, we, we were there, we were waiting, um, we, we were in this holding pattern until the, the first baby uh, comes along and it finally comes with Isaac and the promise continues and Isaac grows up. And then I remember last week we were talking about Isaac is, is 40 years old and he still doesn't have a lady in his life to marry. And Sarah has passed away, and Abraham's super old. And so they're waiting on this, this wedding to continue the promise uh, along. And so they, they, they finally have this wedding. Uh, Pastor Stephanie reminded us that it was a long process. 67 verses committed to uh, Isaac getting married. That's how long it took, 67 verses. That's a lot of verses. To put it in perspective, God created the entire universe in 31 verses, right? So sometimes it takes a long time to get married. <laughs> that's, just, that's how it is. But this is an ordinary but holy wedding filled with the guiding hand of God. Uh, Stephanie talks about uh, the, the Hesed I can't tell you the way she does with the German kind of, right? Uh, the the Hesed uh, love of God, the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, uh, how, how God pours that out on Abraham and his family. And here we are as God promise, God's promise continues through, through Abraham's son Isaac and Rebecca. They've just gotten married, and now they've just uh, found out um, that they're going to have twins, and they have these babies, Esau and Jacob. Isaac prays for Rebekah to have a baby. The Lord answers their prayer and blesses them with twins. My uh, worst nightmare when we were going to have babies. I've got twins in my family. My cousins are twins. Uh, the herd runs in the family. Absolutely terrified. I can't, I can't deal with one hardly. Can't imagine dealing um, with two. But the babies are wrestling in their mother's womb so much that she cries out to the Lord, why is this happening to me? And all the ladies who have had babies say, amen, right? Uh, one translation says, if, it's, if this is the way that it's going to be, why go on living, Lord, <laughs> right? Uh, pretty uh, intense things. I've heard in my own home before uh, as well, but uh, Rebecca learns that she doesn't just have two babies. She has uh, two nations uh, that, that have, have taken up residence in her body, in her womb, and the two nations will grow up to be significant nations consumed in turmoil and conflict with each other. Esau comes out. I remember as a student thinking like, this is the craziest story ever. He comes out all red and hairy and that's awesome. Right. And, and so they name him Esau, which means that he's a hairy guy. And, and then Jacob comes out. And the, the interesting part of that is, is Jacob is grabbing the heel of his brother as if to try to pull him back so that he can be the first to take the plunge. And, and so uh, we've got this weird dynamic that happens at, at their, their very birth, the onset, we see that there's some, some turmoil there. Both uh, boys grow up and Esau becomes like the outdoorsman, the, the woodsy man, the skillful hunter. And, and Jacob grows up and becomes the, the guy that stays inside and doesn't like to sweat and, and is just there, right? He does other things. They're both gifted. They're just gifted in, in different ways. And then we see that there's some dysfunction in this family. 
which is good because I've yet to meet a family that doesn't have some kind of dysfunction, right? There's some kind of dysfunction in, in all of our families when we, when we really sit down and look at it, but their dysfunction comes with their parents right off the bat, and they have this love for each of their children. This is Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loves Esau. He loves the, the, the barbecue that his son provides for him, while Rebekah loves Jacob. Like this weird, like, like love thing that's going on. They, 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 they love the, the one, and then the, the other loves the other one more, and it's just kind of a, a weird thing. But you can imagine the, the dynamic, the dynamic of jealousy. Now, I don't, I'm an only child the way that it probably should be, right? It's beautiful. And so I don't know, I don't know this dynamic. Pastor Stephanie should probably be preaching this uh, dynamic. I have no clue about the jealousy thing. Like, there was no one to be jealous of uh, in my home. I was the only one. There was no one to fight with. There was no one to, to get angry at. There was no one to steal clothes from. There was just, there was just not that. But imagine that this love of the parents uh, showing this favoritism. I imagine that the sibling rivalry that was already there from birth is just skyrocketed, Right? It's a pretty uh, difficult time. There's some, some rivalry going on. There's some conflict going on. There's an intense thing that's happening in the home. And they're, they're both different, right? Uh, Esau is the outdoorsman. Jacob is the guy that's the, the inside guy. And he does different things. And so the, to compare them would be uh, very difficult. They do different things. So that would cause some tension. And to top it all off, Esau is considered the oldest, right? I've got twins for, for cousins, and if you ask them who the oldest is, it's the, it's the one that came out first, right? And they use that. Like, that's like, I'm the oldest. Like, deal with it. <laughs> like, you're like three minutes older. That doesn't make sense, but that's how it is. But back then, we don't really do this much anymore. That meant that, that Esau, the oldest, has this thing called a birthright. He's got these special privileges just because he's the, he's the oldest son. We don't, we don't really follow by these roles anymore, but he has this advantage in life because he has this birthright. And this means a couple different things. First, it means that when father dies, then Esau will, will get twice as much uh, worth, value from the estate than the other siblings will. So he'd be twice as rich as everybody else in his family. If the wealthy family like this, he's going to get twice as much. So it's got some financial gain. The second reason is, is that the oldest becomes like the judge of the family. Like the, today we'd say like the executor, the, the one who makes all the decisions. So if there's a problem in the family, then, the, then the, they come together and they sit before Esau the judge and they lay out their difficulty and there's no like vote. Like, there's no like, well, what do you guys want to do? It's like Esau says, well, all right, listen, this is what we're going to do, right? This is how it's going to happen. And this is, this is what we're going we're gonna to make of it. He, he becomes the leader of the family when dad passes away. And for Jacob and Esau, there's, there's a, a, a ratcheted um, up uh, responsibility for this birthright because these are the people of God, right? These are the, the chosen people of God. This, this birthright is incredibly important to pass on the promise that we've been talking about. The, the promise that, that God will make uh, Abraham's family into the, the, this people that are blessed to be a blessing. So this is a big deal. 
This is a family blessing that has a lot of, uh, of weight to it, and Esau has it. So throughout his life, Esau, the firstborn, gets privileges and advantages just because he was born first. So you imagine how annoying this is, like if you're a younger brother or a younger sister, like imagine how annoying that is, first of all, and how that adds some tension and some anxiety into this, this whole system. They're growing up, and in the back of, the, of their minds, they, they, they're here, and Esau is the oldest. He's the one that, that really, really matters in this family, been waiting on this promise that God has been faithful to continue this line again and again and again. And Esau is the one that it will continue with. He's the one with the birthright. So with all this in the back of our minds, we set up this scene that just seems really silly, right? Like this is this a, a really uh, kind of silly thing. Esau's out hunting. Uh, he comes in and it says that he's hungry. Not like hungry, like I could use a pecan salad now with, with, this, with the Diet Coke, right? No, like I'm hungry, right? Esau comes in. He's coming back from the field. He's, he's super hungry. Uh, and he walks into a house that smells uh, pretty amazing. And he says, I'm going to die if I don't get some stew Feed me now. He's hungry. Now, one of the ways that I've heard this, this power dynamic explained, I think, is, is pretty, uh, pretty funny because I'm, not a, I'm, I'm the only child and I don't understand. But I, I watch this in my own kids. This idea that the older sibling never asks the younger sibling for anything, Right? Does that how it's work? Have you seen that? Like, I see that all the time. Uh, JoJo will never ask Jack for anything. If she wants something that Jack has, she just takes it, right? We're working on that, right? But she, but she never asks. She never needs anything from Jack. JoJo never needs anything from Jack, but Jack always needs something from his older sister, right? He always needs to be doing what she's doing. He always needs that toy that she's playing with quietly in the corner. You always need, like, the, the, the younger sibling always needs something from the older sibling, and the older sibling never needs something from the younger sibling. Is that kind of correct, you that have uh, siblings? Yeah. And so uh, here Esau comes in, the older sibling, the Mr. Birthright himself, and he walks in, and what does he need? He needs something from the younger brother. Give me some of that stew, he says. I'm going to die. The younger brother is needed. The younger brother now holds the, the power in this situation. And I can imagine right away the alarms going off in Jacob's head. He now holds the power in the situation. And Jacob remembers all those times that Esau got those special privileges just because he was the older one, right? All the times, and we got the dynamic of parents, all the times that Esau brought his big moose or whatever they shot back then, his big animal, home, and dad says, oh, this is amazing. We're going to have a big barbecue. Invite the village. Like all those times where he was overshadowed come to mind, and Jacob now holds the, the, the power of the situation. My older brother wants something from me. Right? 
Mr. Mr. Birthright himself needs something from me. I need stew now, Esau demands. And so Jacob replies, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright if I'm about to, to, to die? Give me some of that red stew. The stew must be amazing, right? Was Esau about to die? No, probably not. Like it, I think the text would have made that clear if he was crawling, army crawling to the kitchen table, like saying that he really needed some food. I think we would hear a little bit more about that if he was really uh, about to die. He's coming from the field and the smell of the over uh, the stew has overtaken him. It's like the, the lure of the stew. It's like a teenager that cries out, like, I'm going to die if I don't get the newest iPhone, right? I'm going to die if I don't get to go to that party with my friends. I'm going to die if I don't get to do this, right? It's that, it's that same thing. And I, I pick on the teenagers, but I do that too, right? right? We're gonna, we just need that. We've got to have that. It's, it's that important. I will die. But we know that if we don't get the teenager the new iPhone, they'll be fine. They'll live. It's proven, right? So if Esau doesn't get his red soup, he's going to be all right. But Jacob, his wheels are turning, and he makes this deal. Do you want some of this this delicious red soup? You want some of the soup with the little carrots that you know and love packed full with your favorite of choice lentils? It's going to cost you, right? Give me your birthright, and I will make it like Golden Corral up in here, right? (laughs) Give me, just give me your birthright, and we will make it happen. And this is absolutely fascinating. It's as if the hunter, Mr. Esau, hairy man himself, has now become the hunted, right? The tables are turned. Esau's the one that, that, that is at a disadvantage. He's, he's following his, his stomach in this situation. And we know that Esau makes the worst trade of his life in this time of weakness. What a huge and priceless thing to give away for some red stew. I was uh, struck by my response to Esau this week. I've read this story a hundred times. I've heard of this story. This is a normal story. And usually I just chalk it up to Esau's an idiot and just move on with life, right? Like, why would you, that is, why would you even do that, right? We don't even, amen, let's go home. Don't sell your birthright for some stew. Just go, just go home and we'll be good. That's what usual, that's my usual response. That's a typical Tommy Lobdell response to something, something like this. But this time through, as I began to read and I, I began to, to study, I was invited to see Esau in, in, a, in a different way. Sure, Esau makes a really bad trade. He essentially trades something that is incredibly important, incredibly valuable, his birthright. For something that is immediate, right? The red stew, because he's hungry and he thinks he's going to die. He, he trades his birthright uh, that is ultimate, that is incredibly important for something that's immediate. Something that he can get right here and right now. What good is my birthright if I'm going to die? He trades the, the ultimate for the immediate. 
To Esau, uh, the plate of stew seemed more important at that point than a place in the story of God. So he goes on and trades this lasting benefit of his birthright for some lentils. This lasting benefit of, of his family that he will be blessed for generation for some lentils. Now, I've, I've read this story again and again, and I sit back with my arms folded, and I ask, like, who in the world would do something this incredible? Like, who would do that? Who would trade something that is so ultimate for something that is just so meaningless? Like, Esau did not die. He was not close to death. He ate his stew, and he ate his bread, and he got up and left. He went back on his normal day. Why would he trade something that was so ultimate for something that is so immediate? And who would do that? Who would, who would do something like that in life? There wasn't even meat in this stew. Like, Lord have mercy. <laughs> who, would, who would do this? Who would trade the most important things in life for, for immediate satisfaction? Well, through careful reflection, probably about one minute of careful reflection, of asking this question, I discovered that I do this all the time. And it's, guess what? It's not only me. It's you too. We, we do this all the time. We trade the ultimate for the immediate. We trade things that are, that are lasting, that, that will last a long time, that are incredibly important for the immediate. We sometimes trade the very best things in life for the immediate things in life. Now, this is the story that I was going to add when the beagle ruined the computer, right? You better like it. <laughs> right? I read a story this week that illustrates this point. Back in 1894, the San Francisco Mint, the, the, the San Francisco place where they make coins and money, I only made like 24 coins in that whole year. And so the superintendent of this mint in San Francisco knew that these coins one day would be valuable. 24 coins from this place all year. And so he acquired some for himself. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he stole it or whatever. He just got some. And so one day his daughter came to visit him at the mint and he handed her three dimes and said, honey, these are going to be valuable one day. They're going to be worth well more than 10 cents. Take these home and keep them forever, right? And so uh, the daughter has her, her three dimes, and, and she's excited. The daddy gave her something. And so on her way home, it said that she walked by her favorite soda stand, 1894. And she walks in, and, and she gets her favorite ice cream, and she hands off to, to pay some of her bill or her Back then, it's probably her old bill, right? Ten cents. She she hands uh, the, the the this special dime uh, to the guy behind the counter and pays her bill. Well, uh, later, almost a century later, I think 1981, something like that. That dime was found in circulation, went on the market, and was sold for thirty-four thousand dollars. Right? 
$34,000. Now let's believe there's only like 10 coins in the, in the world that are from that year, from that mint, some of the most valuable coins uh, in all of coin collecting, if that's your deal, right? It's incredibly important. The point is that, that this little girl didn't know what she had, first of all, but she traded something that was ultimate, something that had incredible value for something that was immediate, Right? She, she gave it up, this, this something that would, would, would invest in her family for, for generations. She gave it up for the immediate. She gave it up for the chocolate ice cream cone on the way home from daddy's work. And that scoop of ice cream cost her family more than she could have ever imagined. And generation after generation of intelligent and educated adults make similar decisions each and every day. And they're not just with money. It's with everyday, ordinary life stuff. We let our desires, our wants, our our lusts to overcome our better senses. I heard this this week as well. If we don't rule our desires, then one day our desires will rule us. If we don't rule our desires, then one day our desires will rule us. We trade the ultimate for the immediate many, many Continue with the story, and even the the author of Hebrews even warns uh, its readers not to be like Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17. I think I have it on the screen. It says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not have changed what he had done. Esau loses his place. Loses his place in the chosen lineage of God. Now, have you ever made a really bad choice, like in life, and you look back on it and you know it was a really bad choice? Maybe like you're still paying the consequences of that really bad choice. And you wish that you would have known then what you know now, right? Like you wish like you could go back in time, like back to the future style. Is that just me, right? Like you just wish you could say, hey, Tom, like that's really stupid, <laughs> right? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. It's going to cost you way more than you put into it. It's going to cost you way more than you think. You should just like get up right now and just leave because that's just not a good thing for you. That's going to cause some heartache. That's going to cause some brokenness. That's going to cause some uh, financial burden. That's going to cause some, some anxiety in your life. You really shouldn't do it. It's really not worth it. I've had, those, I've had those thoughts many times. Like, if I just knew that, then I wouldn't have done it. If I just knew that, it wouldn't happen. So imagine with me for a second that we got to go, like, back to the future style, back to Esau. And Esau bursts in the door, and he's hungry, and he wants some food. 
and, he, and he's there, and he, he asks his brother for some food, and then his brother says, well, just give me your birthright, and Esau says the little thing where, I don't need it, what good's a birthright if I'm going to die, and, and then there you, you show up, right? And Esau's like, whoa, what's up with the weird clothes, dude? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? And you get to stop and talk to Esau for just one minute. He said, Esau, just don't. Like, this is stupid. This is not worth it. Like, this is going to make you cry. Like, this is just bad. Like, you don't even know. You should never, ever do this. Like, this is crazy. You're about to, to trade this, this thing uh, that, that, that is incredibly important, this ultimate thing in your life, for something that is immediate. Like, this is red soup. Like, it doesn't even have meat. Like, you really shouldn't make this decision, Right? And you try to convince him that way, and he just doesn't listen. He's like, oh, no, I'm just really hungry. I'm going to die if, if you don't have that. And then you, you take out your Bible, and you show him and say, Esau, look. Like, if you, just, if you just stay where you are, if you just keep your birthright, God the creator, like the God that has created all of this, like the God of, of the universe will introduce himself as the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Esau. Like that's how God will will introduce himself. It won't be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It'll be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. If you just don't do this, like if you just keep your birthright, like God, the God of the universe is going to just like blah. Like this will blow your mind. God's going to introduce himself with your name because you were his people. God's going to introduce himself to all people like this. And then when you, you go into to, to, to the genealogy of Jesus, it's going to say Abraham, the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Esau. Not just the father of Jacob. Like, you're in this. Like, this is not a good decision, Esau. Like, this is a, this is a really, really big deal. Just don't do it. We see that Esau makes the choice. He, he trades the ultimate for the immediate. He, he trades the, the, the thing that is lasting, the thing that God uses in incredible ways in our world to something that, that just fills his belly at the time. He trades future for immediate. He trades family blessing that, that will, will ripple down for generation after generation for immediate. And we see the effects. We, we see what happens. Many say that the descendants of, of Esau, the people of Edom, the, the red all over people, right? They turn out to be enemies of God's people. Some even say that, that these people, Herod the Great, the one that, that has all the babies killed so he can take care of that baby Jesus. That he even, is even traced back to, to, to Esau's people. That rather than being the one that God introduces himself with, he, he, he's, he's gone a different way. All of this as a consequence of Esau giving up his most prized possession. Something great for a bull of stew. So why do we talk about this this morning? Like, why have I, have I sat with this all week? I've been reminded again and again that the ripples of a decision are felt for generations. 
the ripples of a decision are felt for generations. Many times we are distracted and we are told that that our decisions affect only us. That what we do affects only us. That when we, we trade and we choose to trade the ultimate things for the immediate things, when we walk down paths that bring about brokenness, we can never know the full extent of that brokenness. It's not just about us. It's not just about me. But the good news for us today is that when God's people follow God down paths that lead to wholeness and restoration, we will never know the amount and the extent of God's grace. We will never fully know the grace of God that will bring in our families, in our world, because we said yes to Jesus and we said no to something else. Our decisions matter. That we said yes again and again and again to the Holy Spirit, even then when we had no clue what was going to happen. We took the next step in faith. We could have never planned it out, but we, we stepped forward trusting that God was present with us, that, that God's leading wouldn't lead us into something that, that, that was broken, but it would lead us to wholeness. I tell you today, I stand here today as a kid in the Church of the Nazarene because Doyle Rushing at, at, at Junction City Church of the Nazarene felt the call of God that he should ride around in a rickety old school bus in Junction City and pick up random kids off the street corner, which is super weird today, but that's what they did back then, right? And my mom... My mom, who was in an incredible, broken family as a young girl, got on the bus alone with nobody else. Like, she just got on the bus. Creepy. And she got on the bus. And from that point on, she got on the bus every Sunday. And then she got connected and people of the church who didn't know her or didn't know her background or didn't even know where she lived for the longest of time, that they loved her. She walked away from the, the church for a long time. She did her own thing for a long time. She, she was a, a person that was plagued by, by brokenness and mental illness and, and had lots and lots of struggles. But when she had me and, and when marriage fell apart, where do you think she ran to? She ran to that same church so that she could bring her two-year-old, who was very fat at the time, I've got pictures, and say, you love me. Can you love him? You love me. You brought me into the family of, of God. You, you invested in me. Can, can you please, I don't, don't know what to do, but can you please help me love him? I'm here because of one man who said, yes, I'll drive the rickety school bus around. You'll never know the impact of God's grace when the people of God say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You just never know. That's just one story. That bus was packed. We'll never know the extent of God's grace in those moments. As our band comes up to help us respond, let us sit with the reality of this message this morning. Like our decisions matter. They can change the trajectory of our lives. So we as the people of God, young or old, 
May we be people who say yes to God's leading in our lives. May we be people that that frame our outlook on life, not on the temporary things that that fill our bellies, but on the eternal things, that God's plan. For like we said in the beginning, we have absolutely no idea of what God might use us to accomplish in this world. Dear Lord, we uh, pray that you would help us to know and to uh, understand your grace and your mercy in our lives. May you help us uh, come to know this morning that our decisions really do matter. Our lives really do matter in, in this time and in this place and the times and places to come. Lord, we, uh, we come to you today, and uh, as we've just sung, we run to you as our good, good Father. Lord, help us to turn away from our sin and from the things that, that, that uh, we trade the ultimate for, for that temporary pleasure. Lord, some of us right now, we are in that process. We are weighing uh, uh, what it means to, to trade something that, uh, that is, is so big for something that's so immediate. Lord, help us. May by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you steer us clear from paths that lead to brokenness. And if we do find ourselves in this place of brokenness, may you uh, show us uh, yourself. May you continue to draw us to yourself, uh, to a place where we might find wholeness and restoration. We ask that you forgive us for the times in which we trade um, incredible things for stuff that we just want now and here. Lord, we are your people, and we say yes to you. Would you lead us and guide us? We are your people. We say yes to you. Would you work through us, even in times where we could not dream of uh, the things that you wish to accomplish? May we simply say yes to the next step, to the next thing to the next moment of love, or even to the next sacrifice where we give ourselves away so that others might know you. May we be extravagantly generous with our lives because you have blessed us so much. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand and receive the benediction as we go today. Please extend your hands to receive the benediction. May you go uh, from this place. May you go with a yes on your lips. May you go allowing God to unleash his grace and his plans in this world. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.